We are here on SAFM. It's been a wonderful hour and 38 minutes. Unfortunately, time has just flown and we continue the conversation now with a former VC of the University of Cape Town and one who has recently been appointed by President Ramaphosa as one of the advisory member, rather appointed to the advisory council as one of the members on national orders. Of course, in 2016, she received her order of the baobab i mean this is just incredible what many of you though will not know is she also climbs mountains in fact recently this last weekend she was in the drakensberg she spent an entire day some nine and a half hours on the mountain just taking in the many vistas of the drakensberg but more importantly she was doing it all and continues to do it all for a wonderful and worthy cause that is track for mandela and what that presupposes is she has raised funds in excess of a hundred thousand rand she'll be climbing mount kilimanjaro to raise awareness among other things for the program caring for girls and, and just a conversation about ensuring that the aspirations of a young girl child are legitimized through the many social partners and the even influential persons in our society who can participate in ensuring that equality is a continuous pursuit. And now she's in studio. She's getting quite a lot of mileage these days. Prof. Pakeng, good evening. So good to see you. How good are evening, you? Good evening, Songezo. I'm well. I'm well. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. So good to good. see you. It's good to see you smiling. <laughs> and in fact, I'm, I don't even know what I'm going to talk to you about, but it's yeah. just so good to have you here. I'm always it, smiling, though. I love that I about try. you. I mean, happy is the way to go, you know. And how have things been in the last couple of weeks? Mm, very interesting, you know. Absolutely interesting. I mean, it's interesting to be in a space where you're exploring possibilities, mm-hmm. you know. Um, without, you know, exploring possibilities without the pressure uh, to, to make money. If, if you know what I mean. I do, I do. Without a, the pressure to earn a living. It's a privileged position. Now now I understand how sure. trust babies, uh, trust fund babies uh, <laughs> are having this life, you know. To whom much is given, much is required. Well, but the thing is that that's been my burden forever. You know, that's been my burden because if truth be told, I've been, I've been very fortunate despite uh, the poverty upbringing and the hard life, you know, every every accolade, every achievement. I've always taken every achievement as a challenge to do more, and and so it's and and that's been my thing. You know, to whom much is given, mm. much is expected, and so so it, the, that journey continues. Let's talk about this recent accolade. I mean, which really is a feather in your cap that the president will put you in the advisory council to engage. Yeah. What what really is a presidential prerogative where you can help him? if you like, finger point, quite literally, these men and women in society who continue to do good work with or without the accolades, with or without the money, with or without the recognition, Mm. or quite literally putting themselves in the line of fire, but because there's a greater call or calling upon them, Mm. you are now put in that position to help identify these South Africans. In other words, your role in society can never be diminished by virtue of the milestones you, as Mamokheti Pakeng has taken. Mm. You almost cross lines from which you can never go back. Tell us about involvement here and how this has opened up your universe to the contributions of many South Africans who typically, perhaps, you might not even know. You know, it's 
It's a huge opportunity. I mean, first of all, I didn't know about the orders and how you get to this until I I was I actually got a letter in 2016 that I'm getting the order. And I, I think I didn't appreciate it because I got this and I just kept quiet about it. And then I remember that Professor Mahoba then got in contact with me. He was still VC at that time, I think, at UKZ. And he said, I'm in Pretoria. Can I pop in to see you? I was still DVC at Tunisia. Mm. And then he sat down and he said, did you get your letter that you're getting the order of the barber? I said, yeah. And he said, why are you not excited? Uh, because I hadn't told anybody. I told my family. But, I mean, it wasn't... I wish people could see your faces. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. I mean, I... I, I, but it's because I didn't. So he said, OK, you clearly do not understand. And I'm, I'm relating this story because mm. I think many South Africans there might not be aware of the magnitude of, of what this honor means. Mm. And um, I think it's one of the very few honors in this country where you can get you, you get the uh, this these national orders are awarded to people uh, dead or alive. Mm-hmm. And so, and there are just a finite number of these people. And and so you can imagine if you're competing with people who've been, who've passed on. I mean, that's quite a, a difficult thing. Of course, it's not taken as a competition, but but it's like out of the people alive and no longer alive, you are one of them. So, so it's opened, of course, um, a, an opportunity to be exposed to, amazing people who I would otherwise not be aware of, you know. So, yeah, so it's, um, it's incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly honored. Um, and, and it's also special to get the president saying there are many people who get nominated, mm. but I trust you to advise me. This is what the order of the Baobab is about, the... I mean, it's a long citation, so for relevant or for present purposes, I'll limit it to this. The Order of the Baobab is awarded to South African citizens for distinguished service in the fields of business and the economy, science, Mm. medicine, and the technological innovation, and community service. Mm. When you have been this trailblazer that you are, you are born in a system Mm. frankly speaking, that not only does not recognize you, but tells you it doesn't recognize you and tells you why it doesn't. I'm talking about apartheid. I'm Mm. talking about you being a woman at that and an African woman at that. So all these Mm. layers of oppression that you have had to engage. Mm. And then you get into a discipline, which frankly speaking, even to this day and age, is not a discipline if I look at you. Society Mm. ordinarily would associate with you. Mm. And this is history, right? This Mm. is politics. This is all the things Mm that you have mm. quite been deliberate mm. and at times naturally fortuitous to have overcome. Mm. How now does a young girl who is starting off from where you started, mm. but starting off in a system that says you matter, mm. but that's all that girl can receive, mm. the words that the system says I matter, but the disposition of that young girl wherever he or she, wherever she is, mm. is quite reminiscent of where you might have started. Mm. And and therefore, it's even more discordant now than then. Mm. The system say you matter, but mm. put latrine toilets in schools, mm. textbooks not arriving on time, mm. food nutrition program, if the KZN song has anything mm. to go by, just a complete mess. I mean, I mm. can't think of a better word. And if I can, mm. it starts with, it's a four-letter word. Yeah. How, how, how do we engage? I mean, 
this society with all these distinguished men and women offering what they are and yet being saddled by these fundamental and systemic challenges? Mm. I mean, I, 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 I think for the young girl who's out there in the village who is today um, faced with the similar kind of challenges that I was faced with when I was at a school in the village, uh, but the discourse out there says uh, they matter. Um, I would say grab the opportunity. I mean, I always say to young people who who say, I want to be like so-and-so, and I say, that's great, but that's actually shabby. Uh, whether that so-and-so is me or Mum Miriam or anybody, it's like you can do better mm. because the uh, as much as the opportunities are, are may not be what they should be, they are better than they've ever been, if you think about it, in, in my view, really. Uh, I mean, when I was at school, there wasn't even feeding schemes. Sure, yeah, you just true. stayed hungry, you know. Uh, in fact, it was, in, it was usual that after break, at least two of us would faint in class. And, and the teachers would just send you to some room you That's lie around. And it was sort of tragic. normal. And then after school, you just walk home or they give you an apple. But it was hunger. It wasn't like people were, we were sick or anything. It's because we haven't eaten anything. Mm. Maybe since you drank, you know, sugared water and, and yesterday's pub, last night's pub. So, so I would say to young people, as, 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 as tough as it may be, it's not the worst. And, and I'm saying this, uh, Songezo, because, I mean, I, there are things that are exciting at the moment. As tough as it is, as tough as it is, there's a, there are a lot of things that are, that are exciting because um, uh, uh, we can always be better as a country, always do better. Uh, but there are, there are things that are way more exciting. And when I see, I mean, I saw a video once of young people in a school in Alexander uh, who were angry that they are fed Putu and Amasi. Mm. Um, as part of the feeding scheme during the day. It saddened me because, not only because I love Putu and Amas today, uh, but because I thought, you know, many people don't even have access to it. And uh, that there, are, there were years where people did not even have access to, you know, when we didn't even have access to that. So um, I know, I, you, know, we, we, I, you know, our government can do better, but I think it's not, it's not, it's not as bad as it was during apartheid. And, and I'm, I'm saying this boldly because there are a lot of people now who feel emboldened mm. to say life during apartheid was better. I can tell you, as someone who was born in 1966, that when the forced removals You're were enforced... Hang on, forget that. No, no, You're I'm just saying... 57. No, listen, by the way, the, the, the timing is important because in 1966, that, that's when the people who were refusing to move from... Um, uh, Lady Selborne is to Sofata, the last group that mm, moved mm, out, mm. moved at that time, you know. And so, um, and I, I can say to you, come on, I don't wish for life during like apartheid. That. Yeah. And that's not because my life is perfect. Um, it, there are disappointments that I have. I still, you know, there's a, there's a lot of disappointments Granted, that perfect. I feel like our freedom hasn't delivered, but there's a lot. Uh, that that our, our democracy has delivered. You've just told the nation you are 57. Can we just detract 
for a moment. <laughs> you are digressing, though. Focus. I am, deliberately. This is not television. This is radio, Songeso. <laughs> this is radio. Okay, let me And focus. so people can't see the wrinkles on my face. What wrinkles? And, yes. you know. <laughs> you climbed a mountain for 10 full hours. That's what senior citizens do. You were as loud at the beginning as you were at the end. I know all of this because I was there. You really did blow the myth out of the water. Prof, let's talk about something which clearly now is your province. Yeah. And I like it because I think somewhat, not fully, mm. somewhat, you can be a bit dispassionate. Yeah. Higher education in South Africa. You've been to North-South. Mm. You've been there. Yeah. You've been a student. You, yeah. I, I, I think you can share a lot of insights and yeah. wisdom and perspective from the classroom, from the executive. Yeah. What do you wish we knew? Mm. about higher education in South Africa? What mm. do you wish we knew about mm. the challenges of access to funding, mm. of fundraising? Mm. You mentioned hunger. There are hungry students, mm. even at UCT, it's a mm. fact, mm. as they would be, for instance, yeah, where I come from, the University of Forte. Yeah. What are the stereotypes that simply do not allow South Africa to really move on yeah. and sort of be catapulted to where she truly belongs? Because mm. for whatever reason, someone or some ones mm. are holding on to something to which there's nothing for that matter mm. to hold on to. Mm. Insights into academia, higher education you know, in South Africa? Yeah, I mean, various ones. But the first one is that, um, you know, this big debate about um, uh, fee-free education and uh, whether we can afford it or not. And I want to say that I think we should start a conversation that says, can we afford not to have a fee-free or government-subsidized education in general? Can we afford not to? Right? That's number one. Number two, I think we should start a conversation that says what, 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 what should be the role of higher education? What should higher education prepare our young people for? Because at the moment, the perception with, with higher education is that um, your parents should work hard and they pay. Um, and when you get this degree, you're going to get a job. It's almost like you're going to get, they're going to get, you, you're going to get reward and your parents will be rewarded for saving and taking you to school. And I think that's flawed, you know. Um, so, so, so for me, this, these are two big issues. What's higher education for? Can we afford not to have it? Uh, change the perception that it's about jobs and, um, and see it as the first opportunity that our young people, particularly our young people from, from poor and working class backgrounds, get the first opportunity. They get the first opportunity to sit side by side with uh, other young people from other cultures, other countries, other socioeconomic class, other races, other religious backgrounds, that without higher education, they would not have that experience. And without that experience, they almost are um, closed out to the world. They only know their community, their family, people who speak like them, think like them, pray like them, eat what they eat. And I think that's a disadvantage. So the biggest disadvantage about poverty is just lack of exposure that higher education exposes you to. To an extent that even if a student doesn't succeed at university, if they have spent a year at university, there's something that they've been exposed to. More than, yeah, they, they, you, you can find a student who dropped out after one year, they might actually, some students, just the lights just 
go on and they fly even without the degree. It doesn't mean every one of them is going to work that way. But that opportunity to be in con contact with other people who don't think mm. like you, mm. they help you sharpen your own ideas. They sure. help you think further. They help you run further. Look at what happened with me hiking with you over the weekend. Suddenly I hiked further. Suddenly I was much more active even after 25 kilometers. I wouldn't have been if I stayed with my group all the time. It's exactly that, right? It's the same way <laughs> intellectually, uh, whether you're talking that innovation point, yeah, or not, yeah, you know? So, so, so and, and here's the thing. Middle class, upper middle class, bourgeois children get exposed to that, whether they go to university or not, because, you know, Children of professors, of doctors, of professionals get together. The, you know, parents, upper middle class parents engage their children in different ways. You expose your children in different ways. Mm, Whereas mm, working class kids don't have that opportunity. They don't get that. The first time they're going to get that is adversity. You know, so, so I think higher education plays a much bigger role. Um, we should just seize the idea that it's about a job and, um, uh, you know, Rework the curriculum. I don't want to say transform because then people fall into this. Uh, rework the curriculum to an extent that uh, it's not just about recall, but it's about critical thinking, problem solving. There's more of that so that when students graduate, actually, they they have learned how to learn, how to do new things, how to solve problems in their society. So if they don't have a job, I mean, it's it's actually... It's actually a little bit of a problem that you have a mechanical engineering diploma, national diploma in mechanical engineering student who stands at a robot and or doesn't a have a job. Yeah. I'm just going for Absolutely. mechanical engineering because uh, they can start fixing fridges at home in the in the uh, at home in the township, or these they can educate in the artisanry space, especially. Exactly, Absolutely. exactly. So, so but then because we have said to them, once you have the degree or the diploma. You, you deserve a job. Someone has to give you a job. They sort of hold back their creativity and, and you know, opportunity to problem solve and wait for someone to give them a job, you know. Uh, but, but first we've got to say, if you don't do that, it's much more expensive. Mamakheti Pakeng, former UCTVC current member among many other things that she's currently doing. I'll just say this for present purposes that she sits on the National Advisory Council nominated by President Ramaphosa to dish out national mm. orders. So if you believe your contribution in the society is great, you don't get a national order. I'm sitting with a person who's the difference between you being recalled order of the Baobab in gold, recipient so-and-so. Mamokheti Pakeng is that person. After the break, we close up with her. If I have a voice note or two, or better yet, a call for somebody who for many, for far too long, or for, for, for very long at least, was deputy mother. It would be I'm nice. I still am. Oh, oh, she still is deputy <laughs> mother, distributing Kit Kats in the middle of the night in the library on upper, middle, and lower campus. UCT folk, where are you? Your mother is here. We finish <laughs> up with her after this break. on SAFM. I said this before. Artisans don't have to wait for someone to employ them. They can start repairing cars by the corner and end up working chain of workshops. But our mentality and education isn't right. This is something that incidentally was said last night by one of our listeners, I think in the KZN, I just forget the name now, who said... Artisans, carpenters, electricians, your plumbers, there is scope for them and our education system or setup doesn't really channel or promote that in less than a minute, Prof, because literally at mm. 22 we have to go. 
What do you say in response to this or to accentuate the point that you mentioned just before we went to the ad break? I mean, I think young people should grab the opportunity to, if, if you get an opportunity to, to be an artisan, go training, don't, don't look down on it. Boiler making, but those, are, th- those actually are the skills that we don't, we don't have today. We don't have enough plumbers, electricians and so on. So grab that opportunity. I think people who are out there, parents, Let's go for it. Let's encourage our young people to go for it. I've enjoyed having you here. Have you enjoyed being here? Yes, yes. Are you going to come back on a Tuesday to do the takeover like we discussed? Yes, I'm happy to do that. Uh, are you sure you want me to do that? I because do. if I do a takeover, they might not want you back. That's also fine. <laughs> Look, we're in a meritocracy environment here, so it's quite okay. Remember, I'm an unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> Trust fund baby, she says. <laughs> 22 hours, Mama Kheti Pakeng. Thank you so much. Former Thank VC you. of the University of Cape Town. Many things that she has done, continues <laughs> to do, and we hope, pray, and know she shall do. She's going nowhere very slowly. We love her, and we thank her for her time.